a word of introduction so that it sort of sets the tone for how we hear the Word of God this morning. Uh, today is one of those special Sundays in the church's worshiping calendar. It's Constantine Sunday. And it is one of the more recent additions to our worshiping calendar. It only came into existence in the 20th century. It's actually less than 100 years old, whereas most of the special days we observe are rooted deep in the past of Christian tradition. But in the early 20th century, there was a time when it was getting harder to be a Christian in certain parts of the world. In Mexico, for example, Christians were suffering and the persecution from an anti-religious government. In Europe, secularism was on the rise and gaining the upper hand in public spheres. So in 1925, the Roman Catholic Church declared this day, Christ the King Sunday, to be a Sunday for the church to mark the kingship of Jesus over all earthly powers. And it's one of those things that other Christian traditions like Methodists said, that's a good idea, we're going to do it too. It's always the last Sunday before Advent starts, and it's therefore the last Sunday in the Christian year. So as I read the gospel lesson this morning, it'll be uh, something it'll sound familiar to you, but I'm going to ask you to listen to it with a different ear this morning. Listen to it through the lens of, well, you can't listen through a lens. Listen with the ear. See, the metaphors get mixed up sometimes, but listen for it and listen to it through this lens of Christ's kingship, his lordship over all earthly powers and over all that is. And so hear now the word of God from the gospel according to Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 33 through 44. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. There was the criminal, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots and divided the clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saves others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, this chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then said Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just to sort of set the context and remind ourselves of the, the story that Luke has told us up to this point. When Jesus began the public phase of his ministry, he was living in the area around the Sea of Galilee, and his early ministry took place there centered around the town of Capernaum where he lived as Peter. He sort of traveled around the, the cities and villages that ringed the Sea of Galilee. From there he teached, he preached, he healed. 
there was a time to stand up and Jesus said, now this next phase of my ministry has begun and it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. And so a large part of the gospel is uh, occupied with the sort of meandering path that Jesus took from the Galilee to Jerusalem and the teaching and preaching and healings that happened along the way. And Jesus eventually arrives in Jerusalem. He enters Jerusalem and there he continues his ministry of teaching, of preaching, of healing. He says things that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, like the religious leaders in the Galilee, found disturbing. Crowds came to hear him. People listened to him and wanted to hear what he had to say. And the religious leaders were threatened. They worried that their power would be evaporated if people didn't believe in the same way they had. The Roman leaders, the secular leaders, were also threatened. Here was a man who's whipping up a crowd, talking to them about new, a new kingdom and a better way to live, and both groups of leaders found were threatened. And so the religious leaders conspired to arrest Jesus. They conspired with the Romans, the secular leaders, to do this. After his arrest, he was given a religious trial and convicted of blasphemy, proclaiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. After that, he was handed over to the Romans where he received a second trial. And the Romans sentenced him to death for claiming to be a king, putting himself in the place of the king they'd chosen, Herod, or maybe even back then in Caesar, the emperor himself. And so Jesus is crucified. Crucifixion was not an instant death in the Roman world. Death was not a punishment. Death was the release of punishment. And so as he hung there on the cross with two criminals, we have this story. We have people watching. And we have, I always put myself in terms of not necessarily the, not just those who were around the cross watching, but what about those disciples who were scattered around Jerusalem at the same time wondering, what was happening next. Because these were people who put their stake, everything, in the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one God chose to be the Savior of his people. He is the one who would be a king, who would institute a new and wonderful age. That's what they thought Jesus was, and here he is, nailed to a cross, approaching death. And those disciples would have known and had no reason to know different that the movement, Jesus began, dies with him. Jesus came preaching and teaching about an approaching kingdom of God that would change everything for the better. And here he was, arrested and crucified and about to be buried. They believed the Messiah to be the heir of David. The Old Testament prophesied that this Messiah will be an heir of David. Jesus was a descendant of King David. And so when they thought about what it would be like, what this person, this Messiah, this heir of David would be like, they thought he would be a king in the tradition of David. If you read the Old Testament, you see David is a warrior king. From his adolescence, before he breaks onto the scene, first thing we really know about him, other than he's chosen by God, is that he slays Goliath, a giant. And he continues as a warrior king, a military leader as well as a national 
civil leader. And so when they think of this king that Jesus said he would be, they think of this, this Messiah, this anointed one. This is what they're thinking is going to happen. And as Jesus came, he's already been saying things that make them wonder. Obviously, he was not going to be the kind of Messiah they thought was coming. And they probably thought it would all work out somehow. But then we see this hanging on the cross. They know they know that it's over, that they've been deluded, that somehow or another it's not going to work out as they knew it would. Their hopes, their dreams, their faith among their dying is weak. And as we read this morning's scripture, we see this interchange. I think it's important to notice between Jesus and the two criminals that are hanging with him. We have one criminal who's kind of saying, all right, if you're the Messiah, miracle us all out of this. And the other condemned man says, he speaks up to Jesus, he quiets the other criminal. And he says to Jesus, to paraphrase, to paraphrase, do you save me? Will you come into your kingdom? Will you save me? And Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus from the cross is speaking these words that this kingdom will still come into being. And he says to the man on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. But I think it's noteworthy that while Jesus says that while this man receives this word of hope, he's still hanging on a cross. What must good news sound like when you're still hanging on the cross? I think Jesus is reminding us here that what it would look like if we really lived as if the kingdom of God were a reality. That it might not But that we can live in hope that in the midst of the here and now, we can live as if the kingdom of God were a reality, a present reality, not just something that comes down the road. And I have to wonder, what would it look like if we really lived our lives with Christ as Lord over all, if we lived as if the kingdom of God were a reality here and now? I believe the kingdom of God is a future reality. But that when we join God in doing the work God's doing here in the world, we are doing the work of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God can break through into our present, that this future promised reality breaks into the here and now, and the kingdom of God is indeed among us. But what does it mean for us to live that way? Does it mean that we have to go fight some big crusade or tackle some huge problem? It doesn't mean that saving the world is up to us. But what it does mean is that when we find ourselves at the intersection of the world and the kingdom of God, we need to lean into God's presence and do the work of God's kingdom. I want to share a true story with you this morning. I emphasize that it's true because I want you to know that it really happened and it's not just one of those preachers say to make you tell a good story. But back in the 1950s in a small town in South Carolina, 
mother and daughter were doing some back-to-school shopping. The little girl was in second grade, and they were just the two of them, and they gone around the store, and they collected a few things, and as they're walking up to the counter to pay, there's another woman who's already having the things she chose to hung up. We should note that the mother and daughter were both white. The clerk at the department store was white. But the woman being rung up, having her goods rung up there, since they walked up, was African American. As the mother and daughter approached the counter, the clerk in the department store did what was the custom of any department store, not just in the South, but many places at the time. She looked at this pile of stuff that she was almost finished bringing up. She looked over at this white woman. She looked down at her cash register and she hit cancel. Took all those clothes and she swept them to the side. And she looked at the white mother and said, may I help you? It wasn't white, but it was what was normal. The little girl looked up at her mother and said, no, she's a clerk. Finish your purse. The clerk looked at the woman like she just asked to, for a bag of onions or something. He said, ma'am, she was your clerk. Bring her up. And then bring us up. So the clerk kind of shrugged his shoulders, started over again, bringing up the African American woman's things. And wrapped them up or bagged them up and she went on her way. Then without any more words exchanged, really, other than polite pleasantries for ringing things up, she rang up the back-to-school clothes and wrapped them up and the woman and the daughter went on their way. If you were to ask the pastor, do you know this story? Well, if you ask the, the, the woman in the story, the mother, she will tell you she has no memory of this story. But if you ask the daughter, she will tell you how it is etched in her memory and her brain. I know the story so well because the woman was my grandmother, the little girl was my mother. And I have to believe that my mother, and I know my mother, she says that day was a day of revelation. That what was normal, what the powers of her world told her were normal. By the rules of the day, this department store clerk had done nothing wrong. Yet it was wrong. This is a woman who my mother went on to graduate from completely segregated schools all the way through college because those things had yet come to the schools to attend. Yet throughout that time, she had this experience seared into her consciousness. And she had an idea that grew and blossomed that what the powers that be in her world told her were not right. That there was something deeply wrong that she needed to be a part of whatever came to the party. Almost not like my mother's bag kept on her way. Smart. But what she did do is she raised these sons. And she taught them the lessons that she experienced. And I like to think that my brother and I raised our children with those same lessons. Friends, we don't, we, we might not be called to be in this world, but we are called that when we encounter and find ourselves at the intersection of the world and the kingdom of God, we are called.
kingdom of God that's not yet here, but is nevertheless real that breaks through into our world and we do its work. To me, I think the kingdom of God breaks through into that atmosphere of our heart. And it started a change. If you know my mother, like I said, she too used to go to Southern Baptist schools and live in this doctor's inheritance town. Had substantial part of its citizenship was through just our father's brothers to that point. You had that change that started as a child that you didn't see and even now has not seen justice fully arise. But it doesn't mean we stop working for it and challenging the powers that be and working for justice in the world. Much in the same way, I think Jesus reminds us that, Luke reminds us that, in the way he tells this story, that he speaks of the coming kingdom of God to a man and promises him paradise yet still hanging on the cross. It's not yet come. But somehow the presence of God in Jesus Christ and the work of the kingdom of God is breaking through and is real. Jesus' crucifixion looks like the end of his movement. Instead, it proves his lordship over all creation. Now, we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, and we cannot help but think of Jesus' death in terms of his resurrection. And so we are able to look at the cross and know that when Jesus appeared to be dying, and he did die, that that death would not have the final word. We know that death became life and that loss became victory. And we can say with certainty that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we can live our lives in the here and now with the kingdom of God in the hands of his hands. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, you have spoken to us across generations. You sent voices crying out in the wilderness. You sent the assurance of a condemned man May we hear your voice and embody your presence as we leave this place. May we be about the work of your kingdom. For we pray in the